Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope. Never Ever Give Up Hope is a show about people who have done just that. They never gave up, no matter what. Many of my guests have survived extreme poverty or abuse. Some have had to overcome serious depression or disease. And many of them have had to fight just to survive. What I love about this show is that it gives the opportunity for people to not only share their stories, but to listen to tips, suggestions, and encouragement from those who have similar ones. This is a show not only about how to survive, but to thrive. Never Ever Give Up Hope is now heard in over 140 countries, and what that indicates to me is that it doesn't matter where you are on this globe. You need hope. People are looking for that thread of hope. And I'm so happy to be part of that. But without you guys who are listening, we wouldn't have a show. And so I thank you as well for your support, for your feedback, and for your encouragement. Thank you. Today I have with me Tina Yeager. She is an author, and the name of her book which was just recently released, Beautiful Warrior, Finding Victory Over the Lies Formed Against You. Wow, what a bang. That just hit me, and I know that many of you are relating even at this moment. Just the title of that book, and so I'm excited what Tina is going to share today. She is not just an author, but she also has her own podcast, she is a licensed counselor, a life coach, and a speaker with that common thread I told you about earlier, a passion to encourage others. Tina teaches how to bust through common lies women believe and how to counter falsehoods. Now when I read that I thought, I need to repeat that. I need to read that again. Tina teaches how to bust through common lies that women believe and teaches how to counter falsehoods. I'm so excited to hear what Tina is going to share, not just about that, but everything else about her life and also how important and life-changing this subject is. Welcome, Tina. Thank you, Carol. I'm so delighted to be here and share with your audience today. Let's begin with your own struggle about self-worth. Tell us what happened when you were a young teenager and then also the trauma that 
you had happen during your third year of college? As a child, I found it very difficult to relate to other children. I was that odd kid that nobody really liked. I was always left out. So even though I had a great family, I just felt as though I was never good enough as a child, that I wasn't likable, that my parents loved me because they had to. God loved me because he had to, but I was unlovable. I was inherently an unlovable person. I didn't have the kind of personality people would like. So as a teenager, I developed an eating disorder. And I struggled with that for eight years into college. And during those end years of the eating disorder still going on, I even suffered an assault from someone that I trusted. And that just crashed me into this devastation of feeling shame, um, worthlessness, also at the point of just not even wanting to be here anymore. I was at the lowest point I can imagine. Now, before we go on, tell me, now fast forwarding just for this moment here, with hindsight, why do you think you felt that way? I think we inherently as human beings turn to other people for approval that we want to belong, that we crave a sense of acceptance and being loved. And yet the things that we focus on are those negatives. We look at the things that are not there, the things that are missing, and we, we focus on the things that we're not doing well, the things that are our flaws, and that's what we see the most. I think that is what we as human beings are wired to address in our minds, we are focusing on the pain point. We notice the crushed toe, not the nine toes that are perfectly fine. That's one of the reasons why I think I felt that way. And I think a lot of people feel that way. And when you're looking for something and you're not getting it, that is a tremendous pain point, especially when it comes to relationship and matters of the heart. Do you think that this is what turned you to the career? of being a coach and a counselor? Absolutely. I, I felt that I didn't get the kind of counseling support I needed, especially right after the assault. I had an intern at college that told me that the trauma was really based on my own irrational thinking. That's why I was suffering after an attack. And that is really the wrong approach for counseling for someone who's been assaulted. And that intern just didn't know any other approaches at the time. So I don't blame her. I just wanted to become the kind of counselor that I had needed that I didn't have during all of those years, but especially at that time. I think that that probably caused you to turn more inward. Is that correct? And actually be silent in your suffering? I was silent in my suffering because I didn't think anyone else would care. And I didn't want to burden anyone else when I already felt so isolated. I thought if I told them I was suffering, that would just push them farther away. And I'm not sure I'm alone in feeling that way. I believe a lot of people think that same sort of lie that other people won't care and that we are we're keeping ourselves safe by pushing others away in our suffering and in fact the opposite is actually true. I think one of the reasons that some people do that that I've learned over the years after coming out of my shell and that is not only do we think people won't care but isn't there some embarrassment and fear of rejection that's attached to that as well? 
When you're already feeling discouraged and unlovable, you are feeling very raw in the area of rejection. So I think you're right. We don't want to get rejected any more than we've already been rejected. So the last thing we want to do is be vulnerable in that moment. And yet, as you said, that's a lie, which we're going to talk about. And I really appreciate that because I know you're going to share a few of these lies. Before we talk about that, though, when you say self-image makeover, can you explain what that means and what that entails? Well, just like we do a makeover of our home or a makeover of our cosmetic appearance, we want to get rid of the things that we know are not helpful to us, that don't bring us joy, that don't fulfill us, that don't create an environment or a dwelling place or a look that's going to give us peace and comfort, that's going to bring us joy, that's going to really reflect who we truly are. So we have to get rid of certain things and we have to improve the beautiful things that are already there and accentuate those things and bring those things out. So with a self-image makeover, we have to identify the things that are there that don't belong. Those Let's say if you were looking at a cosmetic makeover, wouldn't they go and get rid of the blackheads, right? You would get rid of the dirt and the oil and the things that are in your skin that's toxifying you. So in a self-image makeover, you need to look at what are the things that I'm keeping, that I'm hanging on to, that are toxic and poisonous, that are holding me back and keeping me from really living beautifully. I like what you said there. And as you were talking, I was thinking is possibly a deterrent to somebody doing that the fact that it feels too overwhelming like too much work and if so what would you say to that person everything worth doing is going to require work do you want to continue to live in the work of being miserable which is going to require just as much pain and effort and suffering it's just the suffering you're used to or is it worth it to not only live free for yourself, but to also live as someone who is confident enough to free other people. So freeing yourself isn't just about you. It's about what you are intended to do in the lives of other people around you. You have the potential to lift other people up. People that don't have hope right now are counting on you to get through this problem Mm. to be well for them. Now, in your book, on this particular subject alone, do you give, like, guidelines? Absolutely. I think that's so important that we have baby steps to take because it is overwhelming to make changes in our lives. So I've outlined very practical, clinically-based tools that people can apply to help them move forward from the place of being stuck in shame. Stuck in shame. I think that that is probably an underlying reason that it does feel like it does. Is that correct? Like, I'm here, I'm stuck. I can't imagine. That's the overwhelming part. Yes, we are so used to hearing those shame lies from outside of us, in our culture, sometimes in our families, sometimes from other people in our community, or we've adopted them so well that we hear our own voices shaming us, that that has brought us down to sink into it, into this deep rut of shame thoughts, of putting ourselves down and thinking of ourselves as less than, as not good enough, as not capable, as not having purpose or potential in our lives. And it's hard to pull out of that. You have to try to do it one step at a time and not just pull those shame lies out, 
but put the good things that nourish you into your life, those positive things, those true things, not just about where you've been, but about where you can go. Do you think that this is a problem more prevalent among women? I do think women uniquely struggle with shame. I believe that we don't corner the market. I think men have their own brand of shaming and competition and insecurity that they deal with. But women have become masters at it, especially in uh, modern society with so much social media out there. We're constantly comparing our worst day to someone else's best day. Our worst day to someone else's best day. Isn't that funny how social media has done that I think this is why there is the problem like with the teenage suicide and some of the other things that have come as a result would you agree I think it also desensitizes us to other human beings we see one another through screens and we don't have that human Mm. connection so teenagers have given themselves license to be mean in a way they wouldn't be in person online right that's so sad that's a whole that's a whole other show isn't it it is. <laughs> now, another thing that you mentioned in, in talking about your book is the key ways to identify a lie. This, I think, is crucial, too. So can you share that? There are certain elements that can help you recognize a lie. It's always seductive. It has an element of truth to it. A really good lie it has some truth in it so that you can believe it. If it has an emotional charge that's negative, that's another thing that you can notice about a lie. It's meant to make you feel a certain way. If you notice any con artist is going to try to make you feel a certain urgent need that you may not actually have. But there's some truth in it, a little bit of truth, just enough to suck you in. And then the truth is twisted by a hyperbole, some kind of exaggeration to make you feel a certain way and have that spin on it. It's also going to distract you from what's true and what's important and what it at your core is your most significant area of potential. So instead of looking at your worth and your potential, you're distracted to look at this other thing over here that really isn't that important. Instead of looking at who you are as a human being, you're distracted to look at your appearance. You're distracted to look at your performance. You're distracted to look at other people's approval, which really aren't true measures of your worth or your potential as a human being. So look for hyperbole. If you say, I'm always this or I'm never that, you should get in the Guinness Book of Records for consistency. Nobody's always or never anything. (laughs) So you should automatically know that that's a lie. Very well stated. Give us an example of uh, some of the lies that women, I know you you mentioned a couple, but uh, some of the more common ones that not just women, but people in general tend to believe about themselves. I'm not good enough, which is imposter syndrome. We often feel that even when we're successful, sometimes most often among successful people, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. I'm a fake. I'm a failure. I'm going to fail. I always fail. I'm stupid. I'm ugly. No one likes me. These are things that a lot of people feel. And there are different twists and spins on it. But everyone has those unique messages that are shame lies that they've been fed by other people or by themselves or by their culture. And they consistently replay those in their heads over and over and over again. And it becomes their theme song. 
Going back to your eating disorder, I think that's one of the keys right there. What you just said is that it comes from these lies that you're telling yourself, which includes, I'm fat. Mm-hmm. I'm fat. I'll never be beautiful enough for other people to accept me. I believed that if I was just thin enough and pretty enough that other people might tolerate my presence. Not that they would really like me, but maybe they would allow me to be around them. Where does that come from? Partly from cultural images of thinking that beautiful people are best tolerated and partly from a misconception of my own worth. I didn't think I had anything worth offering to other people. And as human beings, we all have something that's unique that we have a value to offer other people. And others are going to miss out on it if we don't recognize it ourselves. I think that's partly what I said in the beginning regarding people that I've interviewed who have the passion to help others. It's for that very reason right there, that they were able to help themselves and they can they can recognize that pain in somebody else and wants to help them. And I'm sure that as a counselor, you probably see that a lot. That was why I felt compelled to write the book, because I saw it over and over again, especially in the women that I saw in my office as a private practice counselor. Amazing. What specific lies about femininity and significance have you heard that women have to deal with? Women have to deal with lies about what it means to be a woman. And we're so confused because we have so many conflicting messages around us about this is what you should be to be a woman. No, this is what you should be to be a woman. And some of them are completely opposite. So we have, it's no doubt that we would be confused by those opposite messages that were thrown. One on the one camp, people will say you have to be feminine in a way that looks very uh, damsel in distress. We're helpless. We need other people to complete us. You need to wear lacy things. You need to be seductive to be a woman. And that isn't the measure of femininity at all. And the other opposite camp will say you need to be a man. You need to be masculine in order to be a strong woman. And that is what some feminists are trying to pressure women into believing that they have to do things just like men. If you're in the workplace, you have to be a bulldog and run people over and then you'll be successful as a woman. Neither of those things encapsulates what it means to be a woman. A woman is strong in her spirit, in her heart, in her mind, in the way that she nurtures life in the world around her. That is feminine strength. It comes from deep within us. We don't have to take it back from someone else. We don't have to push someone else down in order to get it. And we don't have to look weak in order to be a woman either. My guess is that is one of your core messages that you are trying to teach to when you're speaking. Is that correct? It is. I always want to encourage women to fulfill their potential as strong women, but also as life-giving women who are stronger together, not putting each other down. In your book, do you give tools as how to counterattack these kind of lies? Once you've identified your lies, and that's the first step, you must identify those lies and write them down. In our heads, they make a lot more sense. If you don't get them out of your head, they're going to continue to be very convincing deep in the dark of your thoughts. So identify them and then write them out. 
and then find encouraging truths about who you truly are and write it beside the lie. Whenever you hear that lie, you need to speak that truth five to 10 times to counteract every negative message is what research tells us in order to totally overcome that. And those lies won't stop coming, but you can react faster. You can come back with the truth faster and you can become a person whose default setting is more in confidence than it is in shame. And I believe that this is one of the things that people can use, which is scripture. Is that one thing that you um, tell your clients to practice? Is those truths that they find about themselves in scripture? If someone has a faith, that is a very strong anchor to help you define your identity in a lasting way. So if you can use positive scriptures to encourage you about the good things and the acceptance that you have that never goes away, that unconditional love, those kinds of scriptures that God cherishes you, that he would do anything for you. Those are things that can truly build a lasting sense of worth and significance and purpose for a woman's soul. Can you share possibly a story about something that you've seen or how you've seen this happen in, in say, a client's life or a friend's life? Even your own, like what, you know, what the steps were to get you to that place it takes time and this is a journey. So little by little in my own life, I have come to accept more and more of that spiritual locus of esteem and significance by my personal time with God and study. I know that there was a specific time when I was at a retreat and I was very resistant and I, I didn't know what to write on my who am I tag because I've always been wearing this mask of being someone who's put together, even though deep down within me, I still had those pieces, those roots of feeling unlovable. And in that in that retreat moment, I remember being just convicted that I still had that to let go of. I still needed to fully let go of that sense of shame and feeling unlovable and put that down and embrace who I really was, that I was lovable and that I was worthy. And that helped set me free so I could continue to move forward in building that lasting confidence in my life. So I've had to kind of face that over and over over again but like I said with with time and with continuing to address that as it comes up as soon as it comes up and bringing that bringing my faith into it bringing all of the wisdom and the encouraging messages that I know into that place to remake what that looks like inside of me not just on the outside but on the inside so that I can be the person that I have the potential to become one day at a time. That's how I have kind of overcome that in my life. As parents and grandparents, is there anything that you can share that might help us to help the little ones in our lives so that they don't have to go down this negative road? Or do you believe that children are basically a product of their environment and they may go through this from teachers or what whoever is influencing them there are some things that we can do as parents and influencers over the lives of children and teenagers however i do want to list this one caveat 
children are individuals. So they may go through times of suffering, even if you're a good grandparent, if you're a really excellent parent, please do not allow that to be a place where shame can come in and strangle you. If something happens to your child or your grandchild, don't allow that to make you feel like you're responsible for their whole well-being because things will happen and they will get attacks from other places. But there are some things that you can do to help your child or your grandchild by helping to make them feel fully lovable regardless of their performance or their appearance. Be sure not just to praise them for things they do, for accomplishments that they make, but also for who they are in their character, because that is lasting and that's important. Find out what their talents and their passions are. Praise them for that. And I'm not saying don't ever praise them for accomplishments. Um, That can be extended to the point of being ridiculous. But make sure that's not the only thing that you're noticing about your child. Notice the good things about the core of who they are more often than you just notice the results. Again, going back to your own personal story with your eating disorder, what can we do or what are the triggers that we may see when someone, whether it's a child or a grandchild, go through that? An eating disordered person can be very good at hiding it. So it is difficult to notice. I was particularly good at hiding it. Um, but I can say that if you notice that someone is withdrawn for whatever reason, whether it's an eating disorder or not, they have shifts in their grades, whether they're not really connecting with other students, that is an area where you might want to have concern. And always, if you have an emotional connection with this child, a relationship that invites them to discuss what's going on with them emotionally, spiritually, in their peer relationships, if they feel they can come to you without judgment or criticism, and they're open with you, you will have the opportunity to address incoming areas of depression or eating disorders or any other kinds of issues that child might be going through. You'll be able to be more likely to be aware of it if you have a very close, open relationship with them. Now, you mentioned earlier that you do coaching. Who would be a good client in our listening audience that you would be able to help? Online, because I am not physically present with you, I will not address mental health issues or backstory trauma. For life coaching, I would like to see someone who feels stuck, who knows they want to move forward, but they have barriers that are keeping them from moving forward. They want to navigate something that's like a life transition or a place in their life where they just aren't sure how to take the steps they need in order to reach their full potential, their dream. They think it's too far off. They're too close in the forest to be able to see their way through it. So that's kind of the client that I would work with. Maybe a woman who's struggling with her self-image or had a dream and lost it, or she's placed all of her sense of self in her roles and her relationships, and now she doesn't know who she is because those have changed. And how is that different from what other people do? I focus on 
esteem and encouragement and taking practical steps forward. I know there are other people who do similar things, but I do like to give people some steps and I am very empathetic. I can work with people who've already dealt with some mental health issues, but have already received treatment for those. And I can be sensitive to those as long as that's not what we're directing right in that life coaching session. Because if you are in active need of, of getting treated for a mental health disorder, it's better to have somebody who's physically present with you that knows your community and can respond to you better in crisis and that sort of thing. And I appreciate your honesty there. Thank you. Now, let's talk about your book. The title, Beautiful Warrior, Finding Victory Over the Lies Formed Against You. Now, you mentioned what triggered the writing of your book. Anything else you want to share or what it's about? I do want to add that it is encouraging in its nature. There's nothing in there that's going to make women feel as though I'm constantly pointing fingers because I've been there. And I understand how easy it is to get lost in that mire of shame. I also want women to understand the focus is about coming together as sister warriors. That's the goal is to be united and to not be in competition or comparison with one another as women. We are strongest together. So if we can learn to build those communities around us in our lives, in our communities, online and in person, then we can be our strongest, fulfilled womanhood that we are intended to be. That's a very good synopsis, and I appreciate that. And as I'm listening to you, to share your own story and what you are doing to help people, you have such a way of encouragement. I can see where you have the gift of encouragement. You look at the bright side. You help people look at the bright side. You help people deal with the negatives in their life, past, present, and what they think is going to be future. We need more people like you, and not just as coaches and as teachers and leaders, but as friends. And I think that even reading your book, people can get tips to help someone else as a friend. Would you agree? I think that's the whole point, is to become the healed who becomes the healer. That's what we do. What about your podcast? Is that along the same lines? It is. The podcast is called Flourishment, and I do all interviews, so I'm focused on someone else besides me, which is lovely, and I can use their stories and their tips and their expertise to help people live the lives they were meant to and flourish. Live the lives they were meant to. Expound on that a little bit. That's something that we hear a lot. When you say meant to, do you mean in our own minds or the way God created us? What do you mean by meant to be? I do mean the way God created us. I believe we weren't created to be miserable, to be just barely making it by and surviving. I believe that God created us to be filled with joy and live flourishing lives. We were all given gifts and we we're all given wonderful opportunities for a great destiny with potential and impact. So we can flourish. We don't have to just make it through life, just exist. We can live a flourishing life. And that's what we were made for. That's a beautiful word. I like it better than victorious. 
flourishment. It's flourish dash M E A N T. Oh, that's even better. Okay, meant to flourish. Yes. Excellent. Sort of play on words. Yes, yes. Now, is there anything else in summary that you would like to challenge the audience or to share or to encourage, whatever you would like to say? Consider how you can get through this, not just for you. If it's too much for you to do just for your own sake, do it for that young woman that you know also needs help for maybe a daughter or a granddaughter or your neighbor or someone out in the community that you know is also struggling because your healing matters to the other women you were created to reach out to. Your life isn't just for your sake, but it can be a beautiful, flourishing life that you enjoy and allows you to be a blessing to everyone else around you. I really thank you, Tina. I think that what I'm getting from what you're saying is that you are an expert. You've not only lived it and experienced it, you've studied it, and you have become an expert. And and your quick answers are so appreciative. That tells me that when you are talking to people that you have the answers right there and then for them and you can help them and you can encourage them and I know that is a gift that was given you as well as your own um, education in that field so I thank you that you are an encourager and an expert in your field you have come a long way and I know that you aren't taking the credit for that but you do want other women to come down that positive road as well as you have been able to attain in your own life So I thank you so much for sharing that and for being that voice, that expert voice. And this is a subject that needs to be shared. I can totally relate on some scale, and I think every woman can. And not just women, but everyone in general. We've all had those moments of negativity and demeaning thoughts about ourselves, And you've given us tools I know that's going to be an awesome book to read. To read, It has just released. Is that correct? Yes, it just released a few weeks ago. And it's available now on any retailer site that you choose. Excellent. Well, thank you again. And we hope to talk to you again in the future and look forward to that. Thank you, Tina, for sharing today. I so appreciate it. Thank you, Carol. You've been so delightful from one encourager to another. I deeply appreciate your work as well. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.